0: Working hand in hand, that can be a very powerful way to build the grid infrastructure of the future, essentially looking at computers as not just customers for power, but they're fundamentally part of the grid like batteries.
1: The EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dowenhauer. Today we're talking about a solution for soaking up spilled energy. It's a phenomenon that I had no clue was happening with renewable energy. The industry term is curtailments, essentially cutting off power from the grid due to a surplus of supply. We all know renewable energy is intermittent, and that you can't control when it produces power. But I was honestly under the impression that any and every kilowatt of renewable energy was given precedence and thus consumed. My guest explains that as much as a third of this power could be going untapped. It's a compounded problem for power generators like solar farms. They're curtailing power when there's too much on the grid, and then there's the hours of the day when there's no available sunlight. In previous episodes, we've discussed how these plants also generate renewable energy credit and other tax incentives as long as they produce power. During curtailments, this doesn't happen either. My guest says the solution lies in the power of computing. He's developed modular buildings that perform computing tasks like blockchain mining and this curtailed power needs to be absorbed. The power plant sells all their megawatts, and my guest makes money on the computing service. Given that power supply is intermittent, this isn't the kind of computing you'd expect from the servers streaming your favorite series on Hulu. These computing tasks are interruptible or batchable applications, as my guest explains. And he says there's a huge need for this kind of computing power. Combined with renewable energy, this computing solution is creating a smart sink for stranded energy here. My guest today is John Belazare, CEO of Saluna Computing, the masterminds behind this business model to sell every megawatt, as they advertise, of renewable energy. Saluna is based in New York and was founded in 2018. The original plan, according to John, was never to create a new business model. They were trying to develop a renewable project, but their location was too stranded and remote to take all the power at the time. The computing solution was born out of that challenge. I was excited to talk to John because this is a new riff on. On energy storage in a way which i talk about all the time on the show while computing will never release energy it certainly consumes it much like a battery would and we also discuss the added benefits of unlocking all the tax and energy credits by giving these power producers a reliable client for their energy listen closely i think john offered me a job <laughs> i hope you enjoy my conversation with john Belazaire. here with John Belazare, CEO of Saluna Computing. And John, your website begins with sell every megawatt with regard to renewable energy. And I didn't think that was an issue. So why would renewable energy producers need to sell every megawatt? I thought they were selling them.
0: Great question. What most people don't know is renewables has taken off like wildfire and there's so much capital coming into the space. I sort of describe it as the McDonald's and Burger King problem, right? Everybody is jockeying for the best location to build renewable plants. Lots of people end up in the same place. You know, they end up in Texas, they end up in parts of Africa, they end up in parts of Europe. And so, you get lots of power plants hitting the grid at the same time. The grid was originally designed to match power to demand. And since the grid can't really control when energy is being produced, Mother Nature produces it. You have this phenomenon that most people don't know about, and that is up to about a third of the power that these new green power plants produce actually never makes it to the grid. It gets spilled, wasted. Industry technical term, curtailed. The grid tells them to sort of, you know, beat it back, if you will, because they just don't have enough demand to match it. And so you have this problem where a power plant has been built to produce revenue for 25 years, generate a certain return on investment for owners of the power plant. Spilled energy is not a good thing. And sometimes it can put power plants actually in a very challenging financial situation. You need some way to absorb that renewable energy. That's why it's counterintuitive to think that aren't they selling every megawatt? Well, actually, they're not.
1: You have to feel sorry for renewable energy because not only are they having this issue, but the general reliability issue, right? Part of the day, there is no sun shining. So I guess they're getting hit both ways, right?
0: Indeed. Yeah, they're experiencing this phenomenon where the sun only shines for half the day. And then when they're able to actually put their power during that time period, they might be asked to turn off the plant. And that could be a real challenge for power plant owners, especially solar power plant owners. We see a lot of those types of issues in the regions where we operate. It's a big problem. In fact, about two years ago, at the height of the pandemic, we moved from being a developer ourselves, experiencing the problem ourselves in northern in Africa, where you had the ability to generate lots of energy, but the economy just wasn't big enough to absorb that much power. And so we would have a spilled energy problem, and we had to come up with a solution, which I haven't touched on yet, which is using computing to absorb that spilled energy. It's a problem that exists all over the world, especially in places where there's massive mandates to build out renewable energy and increase percentages of renewable energy penetration. So it's, it's becoming a big issue.
1: Sure. So let's get to the solution. saluna so computing, you're basically absorbing energy. Energy from these renewable sources. When I think of computing, I think mainly of server farms. I typically think of a facility that really has to be 100% reliable. It, those farms are always on. They even have battery backup to assure if there's lost power they're on. But I'm assuming here, the computing power you're hosting is only operating when excess renewable energy is being created. Do I understand that correctly?
0: Yeah, so you've got a power plant. It's able to produce energy either through solar, wind or hydro, natural resources and a portion of the power can't be monetized. And many times they actually have to pay to send that power because they have other tax or government incentives that they need to earn. And so they actually have to pay the grid to get the power on the grid so they can get those incentives. What we do is we build on-site, scalable modular facilities. We actually combine them like Lego blocks into very large facilities. And we do this really specialized assessment for them of how large a facility we need to absorb their energy. We build that facility Facility, and we connect that facility into the same substation, that connection point from the power plant to the grid. And when the farm is curtailed, we use the energy. When the farm is not curtailed, we use a portion of the energy that they would send to the grid. But we make them financially whole on that. And the downstream users of their energy actually don't miss any of the energy. They still get what they're supposed to get. And then when the site is is not big enough for us for example we need a certain amount of energy and the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining then we actually draw from that same substation a portion of our energy from the grid so between those three types of energy curtailed energy something we call subtractive energy and grid power we basically target about 85 percent uptime for our facility and we will have lots of these facilities as we build out our fleet across the world and then what we do is we've built this software platform platform that basically meshes them together and if it needs to move we can move it to another location such that the job gets completed within a certain time frame that meets your requirements and that could result in you experiencing a facility that's much higher than 85 percent up so that's how we deliver the quality or experience that you would get from a broader data center facility with one exception and that is that the facilities that we're building only support batchable applications, applications that are okay being paused for a minute. Like, I wouldn't be running your Netflix movie if you're watching, I don't know, Squid Game or something like that. You don't need the screen freezing on you. But if you're running the model that's going to determine what movie or show I should suggest that you watch next, that can be done anytime, right? That's being done in the background. It's eventually going to change your recommendations, etc. That is the type of application that would run in our facility. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, the answer is a lot. Let's break all that down. So sure. uh, you mentioned that it's not running real-time applications. Sure. Yeah, real-time. I would assume that the answer would probably be a lot of what we're hearing about Bitcoin mining, crypto Indeed. mining, right?
0: Right. So we run anything that is compute intensive and anything that is you know stateless, basically. It can be paused if you're crunching a very large data corpus model. As long as you know where you were in that modeling process, you can freeze it and start over. The idea is that if the application or system can be paused, then it's something that we can do anywhere and is compute intensive. So it needs a lot of energy to process it, needs lots of computers to process it. Bitcoin and crypto mining is a great example of that. You have a fast growing technology and platform that's designed to support financial services 2 or 3.0, if you will. These networks of digital assets require a tremendous amount of security to protect the asset, to keep the transactions that are flowing between the participants from being tampered with. Bitcoin, for example, one of the largest, has designed a system that's Decentralized, so common among all the participants. But one thing that's unique to Bitcoin is that it's designed a economic model, a security model and a transaction model that all work together that basically creates incentives for companies like us to put computers on the network that can perform a series of calculations that ensures that the network is secure. As the value of the currency increases, more of that computing power is needed, and that computing power is very compute-intensive on purpose to keep the network safe. And that compute intensiveness actually has a great application, and that is to absorb this wasted energy. So we've taken the feature, not a bug, characteristic of that network and turned it into a solution for a very large problem in the renewable energy space.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of using you as my blockchain. (laughs) Educators? Yeah, we've skirted around this issue in the past and we'll certainly get into other computing, but I just want to get a couple of blockchain things out of there. I think the biggest thing, I worked in transmission and one of the things they said was that these blockchain facilities are very small, but it's very energy intensive. So it might be a couple of Connex boxes drawing 50 megawatts and it's filled with almost like graphics cards. Is that what you're doing or are you able to maybe not have something as intense as that to do this computing to still be valuable?
0: Yeah. So a Saluna facility is a series of building blocks. We don't use Connex boxes because we've designed a very specific facility to be more flexible in its application. So we can put different types of compute in there, start out with crypto and evolve from there. Each one of our buildings consumes about 1.2 megawatts and they're interconnected and meshed together. So they act like one giant facility. And there's two types of computing that you'll typically see in the facility. One is essentially purpose-built systems that use ASIC processors. For our listeners, ASIC basically is a form of chip that only does one thing. In this case, it mines Bitcoin or performs a cryptographic calculation that is part of the Bitcoin mining network process or protocol. And then the other form is GPUs or so graphic processors, things that people might be more familiar with. Imagine a machine with hundreds of those in a box and they're all working together to perform similar Types of calculations, but across different types of digital assets or cryptocurrencies. In the Saluna case, what you'll see is initially our fieldings are primarily these ASIC machines, these single purpose machines. And then over time, we'll have a blend of single purpose and multi purpose, the GPU machines going after these other applications. Big AI data set processes are run on GPUs, movie transcoding, natural language processing, that sort of thing. All energy intensive, may not be as energy dense, but nonetheless useful in this application is what you'll see in our facilities. And so over time, 10 years from now, if you fly over a grid, if we're successful, what you'll see is a very diverse grid infrastructure. You'll see lots of different renewable resources that represent the largest portion of the network. And then you'll see batteries, you'll see transmission lines, and then you'll see these data centers that are interconnected with the facilities that forms the reliable infrastructure for the grid.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about storage real quick. I talk nonstop about energy storage on this podcast. We talk about energy storage, making renewable energy available when you need it. What you're offering is essentially half of that option, creating a sink when there's too much generation on the grid. You talked about this. Thoughts on how this could possibly work hand in hand with energy storage, right? right.
0: Yeah, I think the way I think about it is people ask me, you know, what do I do? <laughs> and I sort of describe what I do. And they're like, well, can't you just store the energy? And I says, yes, you can store it. And batteries are both technologies and companies. Battery company uses battery technology to solve problems for the grid. When the grid has excess energy, it can store the energy when the prices are really low and then sell the energy back into the grid when prices are higher or the grid needs additional power. It's a great solution to the flexibility concerns concerns or over generation concerns of the grid system. The problem with it is batteries are still very expensive right now. There's lots of advanced, interesting technology underway. It's not scalable enough to build very, very large battery systems. But just like anything, it will eventually get there as we do more EV development and we build lots and lots of these types of batteries. Those will be combined and probably be very, very cheap to build and become part of the system. I've seen other things that are sort of long duration, et cetera. And the nice thing about batteries is they eventually will play a role where they can be part of the grid system at scale. But today they're not there at that level. For example, if you look at the amount of renewables that's coming online, the amount of traditional fuel-powered sites that are coming offline, I think the IEA, and I may get this wrong, but I think they've talked about something around 500 gigawatts of energy demand response systems, systems that can absorb and provide flexibility to the grid that have to come onto the grid. massive scale and the only thing that is large you know that just keeps growing that can absorb that amount of need and be flexible is computing computing has limitless demand it's a fantastic sink, and if you focus on the right type of computing applications it can actually be a very scaled sink <laughs> as well and these new types of applications coming out is allowing it to do that the problem with batteries is at some point the power has to go back onto the network or the return profile for that battery battery. battery project can be highly affected. And so if you're not discharging every day, that can be really challenging. So I think in the near term, both the cost uh, technology and scalability limitations of batteries make it very difficult for it to scale at the levels that I believe computing can scale. But I think working hand in hand, that can be a very powerful way to build the grid infrastructure of the future. It's essentially looking at computers as not just customers for power, but they're fundamentally part of the grid like batteries.
1: Sure. And John, before we started, I wasn't sure if you were co-located with the solar farm or wind farm. You said that you are behind the meter, pretty much on the same circuit. So that makes that clear. Now, I kind of understand the business model. So your main client is the power producer, right? You're co-located with the solar farm, the wind farm, right? Mm -hmm. That's who you have the deal with. Now, how are you able to (laughs) sell Your computing power. Is that easy? Do you have to do that on a case by case basis?
0: The way we look at our business is it's a phase one, phase two approach. And we did this on purpose. Phase one is the computing that we have in our facility. So the power plant is our power partner. So they sell us the energy that they would otherwise waste. And then they allow us to integrate to their substation, which gives us those other power sources, et cetera. So on a blended basis, we have a corpus of energy that we can use to power our computing business. And in phase one, that computing business is primarily using it to provide crypto mining security services and so forth. And we essentially sell that service to ourselves. So we buy all the equipment. We put the equipment in the building. We mine digital asset. We turn it into cash. We pay the power plant owner and then we reinvest that revenue, if you will, in additional capital expenditure to build out a larger footprint of computing facilities. And as we get much bigger and our footprint gets really large, then we shift into phase two where we build more facilities, we reinvest in general purpose applications. And then we basically go to, you know, I like to say, I'm gonna pull up with my (laughs) Saluna pickup truck to the power plant owners and say, hey, I noticed the wind farms aren't blowing, I can help you with that. And then I'm gonna take a plane and fly to New York and go to, you know, a large bank and say, I don't want any of your real-time applications, I want 1% of your batchable applications and you're gonna put them in my green data centers and I can provide you that service for a lot cheaper than you can from the big hyperscalers because I've optimized my entire business around that. And it's ESG friendly. And over time you can grow into my fabric and it's purpose built for these types of applications. So that takes a enterprise sell. We've got to prove that we can do this stuff at scale. That takes boots on the ground and going to those different markets. And then we're selling a compute fabric. We're not selling, hey, you're gonna be in building number five in our Texas facility. You're gonna be on the Saluna class. Cloud, if you will, and that's going to cost you a certain amount, and you'll sign a multi year contract with us. So the selling model is not new. It's the type of data center that we're offering and the product that we're offering that's going to be new to the marketplace by breaking it up into this phase one, phase two, that allows us to build the credibility, the mass, such that when we knock on the door of these large enterprises, so like who's Saluna? We're this huge green data center with facilities all over the world powered by these green plants, and it's allowing more green energy to come online. And so give us your computer load to allow us to go do that. And we plan to kick off that phase two transition this year. And we're in 2022, and that's part of our operating plan for this year. And so we're pretty excited about the fact that we're getting big enough to do that. That's the playbook.
1: No, that's really exciting. So there's another dimension to all this, and this is the renewable energy credits that are produced by renewable facilities. For every megawatt that's produced, Mm -hmm. there's a renewable energy credit. And so I think this whole idea that somehow a solar plant isn't selling all of the power it produces, you know, there's curtailments. That means that you can't sell a renewable energy credit, right? They're missing those. That's right.
0: Yeah. They actually don't get the RECs unless they produce the power. The administrator doesn't give them that credit until they've actually shown they've sold the energy to somebody. There's all sorts of advantages beyond recovering revenue for the lost power for the wasted energy. We actually unlock a lot of other things, right, that make a project like that work. We unlock production tax credits. Those are the federal tax incentives that make it compelling to go build renewable energy plants all over the world. In the US, the PTC program, you get that for 10 years. Right. But you got to produce the power investment tax credits. I think that's related to solar. Again, you have to be able to produce the energy to to get that. And then the renewable energy credits also are focused on you have to sell the power. So we not only unlock lost revenue, but we unlock all of these other advantages that are unique to the project, which makes our solution that we bring to these power plant owners very accretive to a typical project. When we make our presentations, we call them these curtailment assessments, right, where we assess the amount of energy that would otherwise be wasted. We simulate what happens when we when we add our power plant and we show you lost revenue versus re-recovered revenue and PTCs and recs and so forth. It's a very compelling presentation. And that's allowed us to build relationships with some of the largest infrastructure players and power plant owners in the world. So, yeah,
1: this is just occurring to me, but you know, if you're able to unlock, in particular, the renewable energy credits because the facility would have been curtailed, I would be asking for a 50 50 split on the REX.
0: <laughs> well, you should definitely join our corp dev team because <laughs> we do incorporate that into our deal structure. Sometimes it's challenging because there's this assumed ownership of the RECs, and so they may or may not be able to get those to us.
1: I'm just trying to be cute there. <laughs> <laughs> but look, renewable energy is important, and so is storage, and so is this. But when I did a profile on the largest pumped hydro storage mm-hmm. facility in the country, it's the one in Bath County in Virginia. They didn't mm-hmm. build it to act as an accordion for renewables they built it as a way to absorb excess nuclear because nuclear kind of has to be on all the time have you considered any options for more baseload power that really doesn't have the flexibility to call on call off
0: For those types of environments, what we've done is we work with the grid operator and we build our facilities on grid rather than behind the meter. And then we work with the grid operator to essentially be a sink during peak times or off peak times, depending on the area that we're in. And some of our facilities for hydro and they're also part of grid systems that include some nuclear participate in that. And we found that to be an effective solution for those environments. So our customers are not just power power plant owners we also work with grid operators to provide ancillary services controllable load type services and to the extent that they have some sort of program that they'd like us to participate in where we're shutting off certain hours or turning on certain hours to ensure that they get a nice smooth distribution of their power usage for these base load plants so we wouldn't go to the base load plant and say hey you have excess energy let us build a facility in the back here <laughs> to use that we typically will go on grid and work with the grid operator
1: Good deal. And then watching the video, you had the different houses, right? Why is it arranged in that herringbone? Oh,
0: that's a (laughs) great question.
1: That's uh, silly question.
0: Yeah. So it's funny internally here. <laughs> we joke like we call it the Star Wars configuration the X-wing fighter. If you look at our facility, there are certain characteristics that make it fairly unique. Number one, it's the energy density of the building, the flexible electrical design, which allows us to have different density systems in the building and a fairly diverse mixture of those. So we can have highly concentrated and homogeneous systems in the building, or we can change it to single-purpose and multi-purpose in the building. The other thing we do is we've designed a thermodynamic system for these facilities that enables us to manage the thermodynamics in the building without having to install highly sophisticated cooling systems. We actually use ambient air and we do it in a very proprietary way that allows us to get the air in, cool the facility exit the hot air out of the building in a very efficient way and in a way that allows us to move large volumes of air to do that once the air goes out we have to make sure it doesn't come back into the building we design the facility such that we actually create this hot corridor outside of the buildings which shunts the air up into the atmosphere very quickly so that it moves away from the facility and keeps the temperature fairly controlled
1: yeah. And I just thought it was a stylistic choice. So th- there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it also happens to look great.
1: <laughs> yeah. It looks good. looks good. You mentioned you had projects in Africa and I've done a few episodes on electrification in Africa and the idea that maybe some of the things that we've learned, they can build into that infrastructure as they're electrifying for the first time. Tell us about that market over there and why you chose to do projects out there. I think a lot of people would like to know about that.
0: Yeah, Africa is an interesting place. You have a number of countries that have really a wealth of resources. We started our company and focus as a developer in northern Africa. We were working on a 900 megawatt project that sat on a very large area that was rich in both wind and solar and so forth. The problem that we had with that project is that the energy potential of the project was stranded. There was no infrastructure that was close to that asset, if you will. And we had to find a way to monetize the asset until the infrastructure came. We developed this vertically integrated approach where you can build power plants and the offtake, if you will, the user of the energy on an off-grid configuration and then combine that unit, if you will, into the grid when it becomes available. What's interesting about that whole experience that I and my colleagues learned is that this is true throughout the continent. You have billions of people that don't have reliable sources of energy available to them. And as a result, their economies can't grow and they can't join the global economy, if you will. And that's unfortunate. And there's a direct correlation to that to the amount of energy that's available to them. But at the same time, they actually have incredible resources to produce energy. So the question is like, well, why haven't they done it? The source for the capital that they would need, what we see here is the opportunity if computing could become a new form of infrastructure if you will like it's part of the interconnection and part of the electrical infrastructure then you can go to places in these countries where the power might be somewhat stranded you use this model to integrate computing and the power plant and you provide some of the power to the grid if you will if it's close or as it extends. And then as the market needs more of that energy, you change that mixture and suddenly you have a catalyzer for not just more renewable energy in the world, but you have a catalyzer for powering economies to grow because now you're going to have jobs that are generated by that computing facility that's placed there. These are going to be high paying jobs that can participate in the global economy. And it allows us to lift up those communities that just don't have a way to sort of kick off The growth of their economy. And so what's exciting to us here at Saluna is we're really setting the stage for that to happen on a global basis. And that's really exciting to us. I mean, I'm a software guy. I like to say I'm not an energy guy, but now I'm just really excited about the fact that I'm in the energy business with this novel approach because it has so many second-order effects on the world from a climate change perspective, but also a economic equality perspective.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Very, very exciting. I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas.
0: I think it's going to be around for a while. There's plenty of it out there in the near term. It's a great solution for dispatchable power. And given sort of what's happening with the world, I think we have to rethink its role long term. It does introduce energy security concerns. Crude oil. We've been eating off the dead dinosaur mix, if you will, for a long time. I think it's time to innovate. Nuclear. There's lots of fantastic technology that's making it possible for nuclear energy to be built safely and scalably and actually in a modular fashion, which is kind of cool. I think it'll still be part of the mix, but it'll look different than it does today.
1: Coal, and I'll add coal with carbon capture.
0: I think that's a near term where some of that's still going to be on. That base load element is going to need to be there. And I think some of that's going to still stick around in some regions of the country where coal is still a very big part of the economy. Even with the carbon capture, I just don't see it being part of the long-term mixture relative to other options that will be available and equally cheap. Wind. Wind is coming online like it's never done before. Its cost has come down. The reliability of it has come down. More capital is going into wind and a lot more of it is going to be built. And we're seeing it all over the world. Solar. Same deal. I actually think we're seeing way more solar. I think that has to do with the fact that the cost has come down so much. And so it's definitely going to be part of the mix and probably a big part of the mix.
1: Hydroelectric.
0: There's great resources, lots of it being rebuilt. There's some interesting combinations we've seen around hydro and, of course, this computing that we're doing, but also green hydrogen. GFR. Local utilities can incorporate it more, and the more you can make it easy to inject it or retrofit it into the system, I think we'll see more of it
1: energy storage. That's going to be big.
0: A lot of the funds we talk to, more and more of their projects are focused on energy storage. Before it was just sort of grid-scale batteries, but now it's any kind of storage medium is taking place. And since all the car companies are now becoming basically EV companies, you're going to see more
1: of it around the world. And then finally, energy efficiency.
0: There's more intelligence being added in the system and that's where all my software buddies are jumping into the energy space and bringing lots of interesting sensing tech technology and demand response technology that allows us to essentially build highly efficient systems that connect to the grid. I think it won't just be about infrastructure in the traditional sense. It'll be about intelligent software and devices that are much more aware about doing things in the right sort of cycle.
1: All right. John Bilisere, Saloon of Computing. Thank you so much for your time.
0: It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for having me. That was John Belazaire, CEO of Saluna Computing, a developer of Green Data Centers. John also finds time to host the Clean Integration podcast. I couldn't help but notice how great he sounded during the interview... So, I made sure to get the same microphone as soon as we wrapped up. Hopefully my interviews will sound a little better from now on. <laughs> I want to thank John for his time, as well as Mallory Foxley at Command Your Brand for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 136. Be sure to join us next week when we explore how Texans are exercising more control when we talk with a true veteran in the industry. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.